I'd like to thank everybody for coming. We had um, many more activities planned for the day, but the rain has not facilitated all of those activities. But a semblance of them, at any rate, in glorification of Sri Krishna. And uh, this in relation to the Govardhan Leela. I'm going to speak a little bit, and then um, there'll be prashad meal distributed to everyone. Last night, we began our uh, program for the early arrivers, just to let you know, for you late arrivers, that uh, these festivals that we have uh, over the weekends begin on Friday night, usually. So Friday night happened to correspond with the Diwali, which is like the New Year's Eve of, uh, of India. So we had a brief discussion about that. Today, of course, is the first day, then, of the New Year, sometimes called Anukut. It's uh, basically a harvest festival from ancient times, and so a time of uh, new beginnings. And it's interesting to note that the uh, Indian New Year from times gone by, the spirit of it was, it's a festival of light. Deepa means light, so it's a festival of light, and the spirit of it is, of course, that we should go from from darkness into light. Tamaso maajutigamayo. This is like I mentioned last night, like the national anthem of India, practically. It's more of a prayer from Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. Please, may you take me from the unreal, asato sad gamayo, to that which is real. Tamaso ma jyoti gama. Take me from the darkness, tamas, to jyoti, to the light. From death, the plane of death where everything dies, mrityam to amrityam, immortality. So the spirit of it is a little different than our New Year's today. And that isn't to say that India is greater than Western world or anything, but the spirit, at least, of ancient culture in India was very much a, a spiritual orientation to like Mother India kind of... <sighs> Uh, rich with uh, spirituality. So, anyway, Festival of Lights, and it's connected with the, the Ramlila, which is one of the divine plays of the avatars, or the descent of God into the world. And um, we discussed it a little bit, and how from going from darkness to light, there's uh, different shades of that, if you will. And we can look at it in a material sense, from the dark side of our selves to the brighter side to be a, a better person in this world or to go further with that and go from the darkness of being a good person in this world to the light of understanding the difference between the self and matter, the difference between our self and, and our humanity altogether. But to go further than that, Bhakti tradition urges us. It says that there's darkness within liberation as well. And it comes out a little bit in the Ramlila in, in relation to this uh, festival of lights, which was after 14 years of exile, the avatar Ram from his kingdom was coming back and the town was lit up on the occasion, or they hoped he'd come back, so they lit up the town to uh, Ayodhya Dham to help let him know if he needed where it was, something like this. It was really the, the lamp light of love of their hearts for him. 
shining and uh, attracting him back. Tesha me vanu kampartam hama jnana jam tamaha. So this is Gandipena, the light, Deepa of Gyan. What kind of light of this verse from Gita? What kind of light is that? That is for the devotee. Because the devotee is already in light. So Krishna is speaking about how he will, in, with the lamp light of knowledge, illumine the heart of his devotee. But his devotee's heart is already illumined. So the higher idea, Pujapad Chidamars has helped us with that in his commentary by explaining or laying emphasis on the fact that within liberation, within prem, there are shadows. Within love, there are shadows. Love is like that. It's like in and out of the shadows. It's like a roller coaster of ups and downs. I've often said that we cannot rest until we find love. And when we find it, then we're off again, right? It's not a static thing. It's moving. It's like a roller coaster up and down. It's a wild ride, but we can't get off. We're living for such. So, in liberated life, beyond shanti, 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 there's anandam, anandam buddhi, bardhanam. It is a, it is bardhanam. This is go bardhan. Bardhanam means increasing. So, ever increasing ecstasy. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come to speak about this. The ever increasing ecstasy of prem dharma that makes mukti, liberation, look dark. And within that, Within love, divine love, then there is, there is the light of union and the darkness, the dark night of the soul of separation. Within the context of the Leela, Krishna disappears behind a tree for a moment while herding cows. His friends practically die. We find in Bhagavat, the Brahma creator is cursed for making eyes that blink by the gopis because for a moment... They cannot see him. So this is the darkness. And he comes to illumine that by bringing about union again. So this is Gandhipena Vashvata. This is real, full illumination of Surup Shakti. This is our ideal. And of course, in relation to the New Year's Eve, we're taken to Ram Lila. And with, in relation to Govardhan, we come to Krishna Lila. The Anukut today, the harvest festival. So... Uh, go means cow and vardhana means to increase. So cows mean livelihood. You can, you can learn it on PBS. You don't have to hear it from me. Without cows, <coughs> humanity cannot exist. It's a fact. And within the leela of Krishna, of course, it is a pastoral leela. His divine play is in the pasture. His players are herdsmen and milkmaidens. And the whole livelihood is centered around the cow, go. So to nourish the cow is to nourish life. So it's about, uh, it's a nourishing leela. Again, a harvest festival. And as you can imagine, well, during the harvest festival, there's no, no fasting. No one will fast. So there's feasting. And um, the leela, in the context of this leela, of course, then this is a wide distribution of foodstuffs. You may have seen that we brought the food down and it's all sitting here on the altar and so forth, offered and in India on these days there will be piles and piles of chapatis and mountains of rice and so forth offered to the to the deities. So and everyone will feast. Even the animals will feast and the birds will be fed, the insects, everyone, everyone except for one. Who is that one? That one who does not uh, recognize the uh, who's intoxicated by his own power. This is called Indra. 
Indra means chief. So he's chief of the gods and he has a lot of power. He, as the story goes, legend goes, he's in charge of the rain. So this is a, why the rain god is the chief of the gods. Amongst the gods, he's the chief Indra in heaven. Well, there's good reasons for that because water is life, isn't it? Without water, you cannot live. Our bodies are constituted primarily of water. We can pass from food, but but water, very difficult. So he had a right to think, Indra, that the human section should have regard for him. But in this Leela, Krishna taught his family, members and friends, something different, and appropriately so. And we should think about it. There's life beyond water. Tell it to the probe to Mars. They were looking for water. <laughs> if they found water, they thought there would be life. No water, no life. And there's some good sense of this, as I've already said, without, without drinking water. How can we live? But Krishna wants to tell us that there's life beyond water. This is an amazing concept. And the guy that supplies all the water, his position can be displaced. He can be disregarded. There was a tradition in the village that had gone on for decades and centuries, perhaps, of assembling annually to offer some sacrifice and uh, worship in honor of, the, of Indra, the god of heaven. And people would do that for two reasons. One, with a view to facilitate their own lives, need of water in this world, and to position themselves such that they could go to heaven in the next life. So Indra was thought to be a pretty important person in the scheme of things. In fact, in the Veda, there is no person, there's no god within the Indian uh, pantheon, there are many gods and goddesses that's mentioned more often than Indra. Of course, Vishnu is also mentioned, but the quality of the utterances is different. With how he is petitioned and for what reasons, what type of prayers and so forth. So quantity is not everything. Quality is also important. Krishna wanted to enlighten his family members, friends, and take their faith from what's called lokic faith, lokic shraddha, to shastriya shraddha. Faith that's just kind of, uh, kind of a belief that you have that's not well-reasoned and... A well-reasoned faith is one that's based on an understanding that comprehensive knowledge, perfect knowledge, will come only by a perfect method. Comprehensive knowledge is, of course, what we're all after. We want perfect knowledge because all action is informed by knowledge, and we're acting for one purpose, and that is to be happy. So to be happy, we have to have perfect knowledge, or how to act perfectly in order to be perfectly happy. So everyone is in pursuit of perfect knowledge. Some people say, of course, there is no perfect knowledge, but they still look for it. <laughs> so who's crazy? Those who say that there is, or those who say that there isn't, but continue to look for it. So we have an idea that there is perfect knowledge, but in order to arrive at it, one has to have a perfect means, not an imperfect means. If we are not perfectly happy, then we can be said to be within imperfection. So how, from within imperfection, can we arrive at perfection? Our pockets are lined with counterfeit money, so to speak. We have no purchasing power. It's all false. 
material acquisition is false. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. How can we buy any real standing with that, any permanency with that? To be happy, you want to have both feet on the ground, kind of speak. You want to have everything in place. The mortgage is paid, and uh, <laughs> the relationship is there. That's together, uh, and there's a lot of them. You've got to have with your parents. You've got to have with your kids. You've got to have with your husband, wife, whatever may be the case. All these things in place. Some stability, some security. But it's here today and gone tomorrow. So we have within our means, steeped in perfection as we are, not the proper currency for purchasing real estate in the land where there's no death, where there's stability, where there's security, where there's at least a hope for happiness. Because as happy as you may be here in this plane, based on acquisition, is as unhappy as you really are because it's, again, here today and gone tomorrow. So the more you like it, the worse it is because you cannot keep it. So permanency, permanency has something to do with enduring happiness obviously, which is what we're after. And we cannot arrive at enduring happiness oh, in relation to things that don't endure. Simple kind of math here. So what is the perfect means then for arriving at perfect knowledge? This is the means, as I said before. You have to fold your hands. You have to look beyond your frame of reference. You have to petition perfection, which is not prone to the same defect that those with imperfection are. As Pujapachitamarsh used to like to say, how can the finite know the infinite? Mathematically, it's a problem for the finite to know the infinite. But if the infinite chooses to make itself known to the finite, then all possibility lies. So we live within a finite conception where everything isn't possible. We think that there are so many things that aren't possible. Krishna Leelam is meant to tell us that that's a misperception. There's a land where the word impossible is not a part of the dictionary. It's not part of the vocabulary. And we can go there. And how will we go there? If from there some invite comes. And anything we can do then to get in line for that invitation? Yes, get in line. Wait. That means mercy. We want mercy. And if we want mercy, we cannot call for justice at the same time. So wait. And if others go ahead of us, we cannot complain. Otherwise, go to the back of the line. <laughs> the just position is what? What is the rule of justice for us? We have taken. To live, we have taken. Do you understand? This is the realm of karma. To live, we take. We are takers. Hunted and hunted. We're either hunting, or if you look at the other shoulder, you're being hunted. Jibo jivasya, Bhagavad says, jivanam. One living being is food for another here. We are, all, we are in the realm of exploitation. We are all takers. There's not much love in taking. Love is about giving. Our progressive march will be such only if we reverse our course from taking to giving. So because we are takers... We have taken, we've indulged, we've taken from the environment. The environment needs to be paid back. This is a very kind of basic principle, idea of karma. You've taken now, you've sown, and now you have to reap the result. So we're all under sentence here. We are confined within a finite conception, and there's a sentence to that. 
we're incarcerated within the small world of our mind. And there's a sentence, and it will last for so many years. And when it's transmuted, then you'll have another life. And hopefully, the idea, of course, is to get out of jail. Human life, in a sense, is you're on probation. In the karmic scheme of things, human life is like probation because you get a chance. They will let you out a little bit. And you see, we have more freedoms than the other species of life. And particularly, we have freedoms to think about and discuss these things. But we're on probation, and you see, for good reason, because many of us misuse the probation. And again, the long arm of the law brings us back. And we can go down in the next life, or we can go up. How we will use a human life, therefore, so important. Dulubamanava janama satsange tahara ibhava sindure. Dulubamanava janama. This human life is manava janama, human birth, dulab. Very rare. There are so many species of life. Look around you. How many trees in the forest? How many of us? How many insects? How many microbes on the end of your finger? How many of us in the same room? It's dulab manava janama. That's just a human birth, very rare. Dulab manava janama satsange tarahaye bhava sindure. If you get this rare birth and you combine it with satsanga, good company, saintly association, these two things combined, human life and satsanga, tarahaye bhava sindhu. The bhava sindhu, the ocean of material emotions, of ups and downs and so forth, taraha, you will cross very easily. This sadhusanga is like from that side coming here to help us, invite that we shall approach that properly and here submissively. Saintly people are trying to teach deaf people how to play music. It's a difficult task, something like that. And you got, you got, I don't even hear anything. <laughs> right, I know. But something is there, believe me. And the proof of it, that you don't have it, is that you are not happy. Oh, I'm a little happy, but I mean happy, happy. I mean absolutely happy. I mean happy. Anandam buddhivardhanam. Are your hairs standing on end at every moment? Then you have not achieved what you are seeking. With every step you take, every breath you take, is what you're after. And someone's watching you. <laughs> and wants to help you. To take help. In other words, how to get out of imperfection and to arrive at perfection, you have to begin by acknowledging that you're in imperfection. That's a good start. How far have I gotten in terms of my pursuit? And what is my pursuit? I want to be a this, I want to be a that, when I grow up. And we never grow up. What do we really want to be? We want to be perfectly happy. And how close are we to that? And if we think we've got everything in place, and hey, I'm Swami, I'm perfectly happy, without a moment's notice, it will be taken out from underneath us. The bank will foreclose, the stock market will crash, or whatever it may be. So on this platform, you're going to build a house of happiness, real happiness, enduring happiness. From that side, you need a grant, a gracious grant, a loan, a grant. And with that connection, then there's possibility, all possibility. This is not a pessimistic idea of life. This is so optimistic. While we may paint a pessimistic picture as to what the nature of material life is, 
That's just the nature of the beast. But we don't stop there. How optimistic our life is, our human life, if we can combine it with good company, association of saintly people. What possibility lies for us? Oh, we don't know. We are like, like ice, but we could be like water. What is the difference between ice and water? With ice, you can cool water. But with water, what can you do? Water, you can bathe, you can drink, you can cook, you can make uh, whatever, electricity, you can all, all kinds. So what you are, your heart, your soul is atrophied, frozen in a conception of life that's limited to the goods and bads and the happies and sads determined by your mind. You think it's cold in here, I think it's hot. You think it's good, I think it's bad. You think it's happy, I think it's sad. Which is it? It's none of these things. We are frozen in this conception of I'm Californian or I'm woman or man or black or white, young or old, and I'm functioning according to these limitations. No wonder I'm not happy. To come out from that, to melt the heart, this is the idea. This is brain. Brain means to melt the heart. Brain is love. And love, my point is, love tells us, it is implied, and intuitively, all of us who have loved, and that's everyone on some level, know that in love, there is a great potential. And there we find the potential to live without water. Think about it. They thought they needed water. So they worshipped Indra to be happy in this life and to go to heaven, to take the path to heaven. But that path is it's fool's gold. It's lit with fool's gold. Heaven means, in this context, all the material happiness that you could possibly get. But as I've already said, as much as you get, as bad off as you are, <laughs> as as far as you are from actually experiencing your potential in life. What I mean by this love implies to us, it speaks intuitively to us, even as limited as our experience of love may be. Limited because we don't know where to repose our love such that we can give it all. And neither are we able to give all that we could give because of our present sense of need owing to our fixation with the plane of exploitation, the taking that we're doing. We're really steeped in thinking that I'm going to get by taking. We were accustomed to this for a long, long time, for millions and millions and trillions of lifetimes. So to change the course, in human life we get a glimpse of it. In human life we can do things voluntarily. We can say please, we can say thank you, we can say, no, you go first. We don't find among the herd of wild elephants, no, you go first. They're just going to get the food or whatever it may be the case. This is what I mean by probation. We've got a little freedom here. Freedom to act voluntarily, freedom to start to, to love, to give. And in our little experience of this, what we know intuitively from it is what? Is that there's so much potential in this that I could live without water. Let's let take, for example, you take, okay, take a Gandhi. He loved his country. I mean, loving your country, I wouldn't say, is the perfection of love. The country is not the perfect object into which we can, should we could repose our love. It's limited, but he loved his country. He fasted for how many days? From food and drink. You see, just a little love for your country. He could stop drinking. 
and for a long time, not unlimitedly, because the object of his love was not perfect. Neither was his giving perfect, because it was a little mis... You know, he thought he had country consciousness, nationalism. I mean, it's a bigger idea than just my house and my kids, and I'll only vote for the things that are good for me. He had more of a, you know, what, do not... What did he say? Think not what you can do for your country, but what your country, what, what, your, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, Mr. Kennedy said. Gandhi had a kind of an idea like that. So this is a bigger idea than just, well, thinking for yourself. I mean, what I'm saying to you is when you give, yourself expands. And when you take, yourself contracts. He had nation consciousness. He identified with the whole nation. So he had a little love of country, and he could forgo water. I don't know, a long time he fasted. Jesus of Nazareth, 40 days in the desert, no water. You've got to have a lot of love for that. <laughs> but love has such power. This is just some examples I'm giving to help us understand, or reflect on something that we do understand. I'm not talking, this is not book knowledge here. You all have this experience. You know, you come here to a festival like this and all these things going on in different languages and you don't know what's going on. Some of you have not come here before. I'm trying to translate it out. We have a languages and songs and things and rituals and so forth, but we're really talking about, what we're really celebrating is uh, universal principles that in human life we can intuit to an extent that by doing so we can make the connection then that we need to fully realize these truths. We can make that connection with sadhu, with a saintly person. So this Govardhan Lila, in the story, then Krishna told his family, forget this worship of the Indra, rain god. Of course, you know this Govardhan Lila, for those who are a little more familiar with the, the Bhagavad, the poetry, this is a story within a book of 18,000 poetic verses in Sanskrit. It's very theologically rich and philosophically rich and literary, from a literary point of view. Very, very rich, wealthy text from antiquity. It's the main book of our tradition. It's with the heart of Sri Chaitanya, the founder of our Sampradaya, our lineage. And um, those of you a little more familiar with this will know that this Govardhan Lila has its origins in the Damodar Lila. This is the month of Damodar also. In the Damodar Lila, Krishna's just a young lad, a toddler. And this annual affair of worshipping Indra was being conducted, and so Yasoda, his mother, was at home, and while she is the Rani of the cowherd community, the queen of the cowherd community, she had many, many maidservants, assistants, and so forth, and they were all out, busy, arranging for the Indra Puja, the Indra Yogi, the sacrifice to Indra, the god of the rain, and so she was home alone. Meanwhile, it had come to pass that her son was found, days previously, sneaking out of the house and going to the neighbor's house and stealing their butter and yogurt and... Uh, sweets and things made from milk. So she was perplexed and, and thought, maybe our milk's not sweet enough. Why is he doing this? Neighbors complained and so forth. And so she asked her husband, Nanda Maharaj, to get some of the cows, special cow, the best cows, and grow some special grasses and graze them there because the quality of your milk will depend upon the feed that the cows have. You know, if you feed them onion grass, your milk will taste like onions. And uh, maybe you have the spirit. So he made special grasses, organic Bluegrass, <laughs> blue-green algae grass, and, and they grazed the cows there. And then from that special milk, Mother Yashoda put on the stove and she was boiling it down to make sweets. And so she was, meanwhile, suckling her son to her breast 
and the milk began to boil over, so she was in a difficult position. Should I put him down to catch the milk or let the milk boil over? And so she put him down to catch the milk. This is Tadiya Seva, to serve that which is dear to Krishna is more important than serving Krishna. But at any rate, he didn't like it, or he appeared not to like it <laughs> only. He only appeared. He liked it very much, actually. But this is Lila. He appeared not to like it. And so he went off and he broke the butter pot and he distributed butter and yoga to the monkeys and made a mess and everything. So she came after him. And she wanted to, uh, you know, you have to chastise your children sometimes. She wanted to chastise him. And um, when she went to catch him, he started to run. So she became concerned. He's going to run away. Oh, my God, then what? So she took the ribbon from her hair and tried to, like, lasso him and capture him and tie him up. It's a long story, but ultimately he acquiesced and allowed himself to be tied. She had a difficult time trying to tie him. She captured him, but to tie him was difficult. She made an attempt with her ribbon, but it was two inches too short. Meanwhile, the neighboring ladies were looking over the wall, laughing and having a fun time of it all, watching this event, and they began to throw rope over, because they were cowherd people. So these cowherd people, when they have nothing to do, they make rope, because ropes are important for cows, cowherding. So they began to throw the rope over, and so she tied the rope to the ribbon and then tried as much rope as they supplied. It still remained two inches too short. So this was a fascinating event, you can imagine. And it's not that his belly was getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time, but it remained the same size. But no matter how much rope, was always two inches too short. So she was making a great effort to capture him out of affection for him. This is one thing. When he saw the effort, then the rope came like one inch too short. <laughs> she made the effort. And then when she just shed tears, thinking, what can I do? I can't. She prayed to Vishnu, please help me. <laughs> then mercy came. So we should make effort and we need mercy. We should make effort as if there's no mercy. And it depends on effort alone, knowing in reality, even the effort we make depends on mercy. So these are the, represent the two inches too short, effort and mercy. We need this to capture Krishna, to capture God, to love, to come to perfect love. So when he saw that then, immediately then with the ribbon, original ribbon, he could be tied up. But now you can imagine, as he grew up over the years, he began to reflect on this. And this Indra thing, sacrifice was going on year after year after year. So when he reached about seven years old, he thought, oh, this is, this is what we're doing. He started to get a little bit, you know, aware of events and as a seven-year-old will compared to a much younger toddler. And he was mature for his age, Krishna. So he thought, oh, this is the guy that you're making all this. This is the guy that I've been traumatized by this guy in my childhood. How am I going to get over this? I was tied up by my mother to a post. And this was a traumatic experience for me. And now this whole arrangement's going on for him? Forget it. And he began to speak philosophy to his father, which is very charming for a young boy to speak philosophy. And they loved him so much. He said, all right, forget it. We'll do whatever you say. What do you say to do? He said, worship Govardhan. Govardhan was the name of the hill. It was Govardhan. It increased the go. In other words, it nourished the cows in every way with fine grasses and water and uh, so many things. It towered up above the village and uh, like a great mountain nourishes so many species of life and so forth. So this Govardhan was nourishing the whole community, the cowherd community. So Krishna said, why worship him? We worship the hill. We will do Govardhan. We will concern with Govardhan. 
increasing the cows, nourishing the cows, something like this. What does it mean? Well, he asked him, of course, he said, where did you get this idea anyway? Where does this come from? Is this uh, like some kind of thing in the scriptures or is this just like from the oral tradition or from your head or what? Now, the says, oh, it's been around for a long time, as Paul said. I, I don't know. So this is Lokikashadha. Lokikashadha means they had some kind of belief in God, some faith, but it wasn't really well-reasoned. Well-reasoned faith means faith which enables us to move. If we have faith, we can move. If we have doubt, then we hesitate, right? We get frozen. Just like I said a lot of times, like, people listen to me, and they're kind of like, hmm, they're not really like, they're listening with their head, and if it makes sense, maybe let it go in. And if I could capture their heart, then their mind just kind of relaxes. It's, oh, this is good, I like this. And, but at first they've got a little defense. I don't know if I'm going to like this, I don't know if I like him, I don't know if I believe that. Or, so we're listening with our head. The idea is to get to the heart. And a home-knowing person can do that. He or she can speak in such a way that it, as we say, it hits home, it touches our heart. And our mind then is suspended, our intellect, which is, which is our like proceed with caution kind of glasses that we're moving with and uh, seeing through in life. They have to be taken off. If we want to be happy, we have to move according to the heart, not according to the head. But if we are to really move according to the heart, we will have retired the head, which means that our movement will be well-reasoned. And that means that movement that is said to be according to the heart, but is not well-reasoned, is not the, really the movement of the heart. There's a difference between lust and love, in other words. There is a well-reasoned love. This is the idea. And it involves two things, basically. It involves finding the perfect object of love into which I can repose my love. And it involves giving or loving without expectation of getting. People talk about unconditional love, and that's what we're talking about here. But I want to make a condition, if you will. The condition for arriving at unconditional love is not only that you give unlimitedly without expectation of getting, but that you give to the perfect object. In other words, let me give an example. Stomach is in the center of the body. That's where the food should be given. Right? Because if you give food to the stomach, it has a way of transforming that energy and distributing it to the whole of the body and nourishing it. But if you give with the same enthusiasm, it would be hard, but food to another part of the body, you try to put the food in your ear rather than in your mouth to go down to your stomach. Or if the hand says, why am I doing this? Why should I give to the stomach? I'll keep it. This isn't well-reasoned. So real love is beyond knowledge. That doesn't mean it's ignorance. It means it's well-reasoned. It picks up with reasoning, leaves off. It leaves reason in the dust. But reason has been fully exhausted to arrive there. So well-reasoned love, this will enable us to arrive at unconditional love. And as I say, it requires finding, first of all, the perfect object of love. Because if we don't have the perfect object of love, even if we want to give unlimitedly to an object that cannot reciprocate or receive, I should say, unlimitedly, then we're going to be frustrated. I mean, people have even that experience of wanting to love their children unconditionally and the children just don't take it. You say, what can you do? They, they don't take it sometimes. So you're frustrated in that. So to find the center, to find the stomach of existence, to find the root, 
This is what it means, Krishna's two, Bhagavan Swayam, this part of this line, one line, that means so much to the Gaudias. Krishna's two, Bhagavan Swayam. And it means, it's, it's a foreign idea, it means find the center and give there. Not only by finding the center where you have found the right place to give, but by finding the center and giving to it imperfectly, you will become purified from the imperfection in your giving and come naturally to give unlimitedly. Can you do that? By giving to an imperfect object? This is again the nature of the perfect object. If you find that, if you find that center and give there, it's perfect in all respects. So even by giving imperfectly there, you will grow and come to know what it means to give unconditionally. And you will become unconditioned by the constructs of your mind and the limitations that they put upon us. The limitations of the bodily sense of self, all these things will be transcended. That difficult accomplishment of liberation from the mind, the oppressive mind that yoga is about, and the Buddhists are trying this and so forth, this is accomplished so easily in bhakti. And Krishna, and Indra. Indra, the god of rain, powerful, water, life. You need me. Krishna say, doing away with him. Who is Krishna? He's the god of love. Any Hindu would say, oh yeah, Krishna is the love god. Yes, yes. <laughs> he is a, so many gods. We have the god for this. We have the god for that. We have the goddess for this. We have the goddess for that. Krishna, yes, he is love. Yes. Then use your brain. Love is what you want. That means Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. The one who's only about love must be the supreme one. Heart is most important, right? Not the head. On the arms. Heart stops, it's over. Brain could stop. Could still go on. The heart stops, everything finished. Krishna means the heart of reality. Reality in love. Our attention should be given there. Because what power is there in love? More power than a hydroelectric... You know, <laughs> damn, lighting the whole city. Such power in love. Power to transcend to all the things that we think we need. To stop needing. And the more we do, the less we need. It means the more we have. And the more we have, the more we can give. And what do you have in this life? I'll tell you what you have. You have in this life to take to the grave only that which you gave. That's all. In this life, however much you have given, that's all you can take with you. The more you give, the more you come to know what you are. You can go to the grave knowing who you are. That's good. Instead of not knowing and not knowing where you're going. Because if you know who you are, then you know what to do. And you use this human life in such a way that punarjan manavidite. You will not take birth again. You will come out of the karmic cycle the taking world, and go to the realm of love, to the world of love. And where is that world of love? It's here, it's now, it's a change of angle of vision. So Krishna wanted to tell them, life doesn't move progressively by looking for greener grasses, trying to go to heaven, by looking within. So this is a philosophy for the here and the now, as much as it is transcendent, it is imminent. We're not talking about uh, doing something so that you can go someplace else but to be here and fully here and find all the possibilities to plumb the depths of the possibilities of love. This is what Chaitanya Dev is teaching about, what this leader is teaching. Krishna told him, forget this. Worship of Indra. Worship the hill, Govardhan. He wanted to take their faith from 
not well-reasoned faith and exercise of heart to well-reasoned faith. Sacred literature, this is revelation. It's manifesting through saintly people, for example. It manifests through them. It has its origins beyond them. They contact it. It comes through them. Upanishad, the Veda, these sacred texts. What you can find in there, a message. It's a love letter from, from God to you. Something like that. To come in touch with that. It's an invite. Om. It all begins with this Om. Pranava Omkar. It's an invite. Yes. It's a big affirmation. Yes. What you want, love, you can have. And then thousands of verses. But just do this, this, this. Change all these things. <laughs> That's all. Just do it a little differently. It's a small move, but it's a big one. It's just like turning... 180 degrees from enjoying and exploiting and taking to serving, giving, loving, sacrifice. In sacrifice, there's growth. It's magic. In giving, there's getting. It's magic. You see, it's not logical. You think, if I have so much, if I give, I'll have so much less. <laughs> no. So he wanted to change their faith from ordinary unwell-reasoned to well-reasoned, so he took them from worshipping Indra. And this is what the sacred texts speak about. That's also there, the path to Indra, just to show us the futility of it. Sacred texts talk about many things, many, many possibilities, but they talk about them in such a way as to contrast them with the ultimate possibility, potential for the jiva, for the soul. So Krishna wanted to take the attention from Indra and water and all this necessity, material necessity, and to love and going beyond necessity and being a giver. So by turning their attention to Govardhan, he was turning their attention to himself. Krishna is Gopal. Gopal means protector of the cows. And cows are givers. This grass grows freely, they eat, and what do they give for that? So much they give. They give milk. From milk you make butter yogurt, cheese, and so many things. Ghee, so many things. Very valuable things. Milk is a very, very expensive. I mean, to do it right, it's very expensive. You have to raise cows. It's a wealth to have cows. They're givers. But they teach you by keeping them to be a giver yourself also. The cows are givers. That's why we see the pictures of Krishna surrounded by cows. It means they're just giving, and it says to us that, well, who asks, if I just give, who take care of me? If I just give, who's going to take care of me? Sounds good, but, you know, who's going to take care of me? And this is the answer, Gopal, Gopal, he takes care of those people. This is, I do that, that's where I come. Those who only give... I take care of them. I provide for them. This Govardhan Anukut festival, besides its place in antiquity, in more recent years, 500 years ago, it was celebrated in a big way by Madhavendra Puri. Madhavendra Puri is the person in whom, the saint in whom the seed of the kind of love that we're talking about in our lineage manifested in his heart. It happened in Vrindavan. It happened at Aniyur on Govardhan. Aniyur is that place, that village where the people during the Govardhan puja that Krishna taught them worship the hill. Now he's saying, give your attention to me, but he's doing it in an indirect way. So worship the hill. 
take care of the cows. We're getting everything from the hill, so we should give everything to the hill. So make a big feast, thousands of preparations, offer it to the hill. Sounds like, what? <laughs> very kind of like uh, aboriginal almost. But you see there's a very elevated theology threaded through the whole affair. So anyway, and this is part of the theology. Part of the theology is that when you look at the highest expression of love, it's hard to understand what it is. If you go far enough to the left, it will appear like you're on the right. If you go high enough into transcendence, it looks like you didn't go anywhere. You're right here. This is Krishna. Ordinary, human-like, aprakrita. Looks like the material world, but it's actually quite different if you look closely with eyes of love. Therefore, nityam bhagavata sevaya. These stories of Bhagavad, you have to study them. Nityam bhagavata sevaya very carefully. Otherwise, you miss the point. What's being said there? What is that Leela about? All these people, we talk about giving up attachments, and they all appear to be attached to their cows and their families and friends. What kind of people are they? Well, those milk people and those cows surrounding Krishna. This is a whole very extraordinary affair. So Madhavendrapuri, he was in that village, there at Aniyor. That's that place where the hill said, more, give me more. Aniyor means give me more, give me more. When Krishna told the cowards, worship the hill, they said, ah, let's do it. And then they stacked up mountains of chapatis and rice and halava and so forth and kachuris and pakoras, and they offered it all to the hill. And the hill ate it all right before their eyes. I mean, that was like magic. We're talking about a, a realm where there are all possibilities. This isn't Harry Potter, but <laughs> it's better. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you don't find the same philosophy going through Harry's books. But hmm? to go there, the hill said, give me more. Imagine, they'd like, what? <laughs> He's actually eating it. <laughs> uh, they had that kind of faith in Krishna. So they just offered it, simple people. Okay, we'll do it. And the hill ate. So they were justified in their faith in Krishna. And he said, give me more. So Madhavanapuri was there at that place, Ani, or little village, on Govardhan. And he was chanting and into the night and full of love of Krishna in his heart. And he had that love, so he forgot about eating. He went beyond water. He forgot to eat. And then in the night, a boy came, a milk boy, a cowherd boy with a little container of milk. And he said, What's with you? Where are you coming from? He says, oh, this is my village here, this area. The boy, said the boy said, this is my village. And my policy is this. Some people grow grains themselves and eat. Other people eat only by begging. In other words, like a sadhu, one level of a sadhu saintly person was they don't eat anything. They, they just go in the house and this is this cloth is for, offer something, people give something, then they speak something something good. Whatever they get, then they eat that, and then they speak. So he said, some people live by begging. Some people grow their own. Some people live by begging. And some people, they don't ask at all. And I take care of them personally. So I brought you this milk. And then he went, oh. Then the boy just looked up, and the boy was gone. So he drank the milk, and then he fell into a a trance, and then he realized that was Krishna had come to me. So... They woke up looking for him and, and they felt separation. Then Krishna came in a dream to him and said, I'm in the forest here in my 
archer form, in the form of a statue. I've been here for a long time, and if you come and find me here, please do, because I'm very hot, and I need a bath. I've been here in the thicket for a, a long, the jungle a long time. He woke up. Imagine his bhava, his ecstasy. He got the whole village, and the village next to that village, and the village next to that village, and the village next to that village, for miles and miles around, he got all the villagers to come and look for Gopal, the deity in the forest, find him, take him up on top of the Gobardhan Hill, take a big stone from Gobardhan, I build my house on this stone, foundation on this stone. Put the deity on there, supported him with another one, and then had them all go and cook. I mean, millions of people from thousands of villages. This is the power of his bhava, his ecstasy, his praying, his experience. Krishna Shakti vine nahi na tarpavartana. Without Krishna Shakti, you can't change people's hearts. You may change their mind a little bit for a while, but change their heart. Change their heart means to move them to action. Don't just sit there. Do something for Krishna. <laughs> now that is in their interest, like this, to motivate them. So our Sampradaya has connection with this in front of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Lila also. Madhavendra Puri, the seed of that love came in him that Mahaprabhu showed in full bloom in himself. And then through his associates taught systematically how to approach that, how to arrive at that. So Krishna told them, forgo the Indra Yagya, worship the hill. They worshiped the hill, they offered the food, and the hill began to eat, and then the hill turned into a big Krishna. And they said, oh my God, Krishna's the hill. And, and he was teaching what? He was teaching that plane, that dimension in which there is pure love of me is non-different from me. Aradya Bhagavan Vrindavana. As Krishna is worshipable, so is Vrindavan, so is Govardhan Hill. And Govardhan, it means, again, go, Vardhan. Increase, cows mean giving, go means cow. Increase giving, that is how you live. Increase giving. Learn to be a lover. This is how you will grow in life. This is Govardhan Leela. So they did. And of course, Indra was uptight. So he thought, what's going on here? <laughs> so he began to shower rain like anything. He's a god of rain. So when he wants it to rain, it rains. And it rained. And what happened is Krishna lifted the hill like this, with his little hand, little finger, and everybody went under the hill. No one could be affected by the rain. It's a long story. Indra realized, whoa, I made a mistake here. I, the power I have was invested in me by someone, and that someone is in this form appearing. And with these people, who are these people? They look like human village people, but they are very different, actually. What is in their heart? Who is this Krishna? Oh, I'm Indra. He is Upendra. He's the god of Indra. He is Swayam Bhagavan. Krishna's too Bhagavan Swayam. He is the perfect object of love. He is in whom it means, this is what Krishna means, if you study it scientifically, philosophically, theologically, you're teaching the place where you can give your love such that you can actually love perfectly. It means perfect knowledge, perfect happiness. So, we're teaching that according to our realization following the line of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And today, as I mentioned, is a day of new beginnings and so forth. So on this day, two of our <coughs> monastic students will be ordained with the mantra diksha. Come forward here. Mayapur Chandra, 
and Gorsundar, sit here and um, make connection. We make connection now, a deeper connection with our sampradaya, with our lineage, with, with that prem, that bhav of Madhavendrapuri, the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu embodied, that he empowered his associates to teach in such a wonderful way, thoughtfully and poetically, artfully, and with bhakti and Vedanta. So this is a very uh, good opportunity, fortunate opportunity for you. And I've undergone this myself, so I know. It's like an ordination. So ordination means to bring order, to put things in order. So you've been chanting Krishna Nam under my guidance. And when we see that this chanting is having some effect, that the heart is becoming cleansed, that the students are determined to plumb the depths of what's found in Krishna Nam. And they show that by their realization, the growing realization that Krishna has come to me himself and given me his name by which chanting, I can know about him, I can know his form, I can know his qualities, I can know his lila. I can enter the Govardhan lila, for example. They feel this distinct possibility is there. And how has Krishna given that to me? Through the Guru. Sakshadharitena. Samastha Shastra. Guru means representing Krishna. So that Krishna has come to us in a particular way, just tailored for us. Custom. Guru is not Krishna, but like ambassador of Krishna. And so he only says what give the teaching of Krishna. Krishna, Shiksha, Gaur Shiksha. So the students, after chanting, sometimes they start to realize this, what it means. They have faith. Whatever he tells me to do, I'll do that. Eyes closed, I'm going. It's well-reasoned. It's not blind. They've thought it out. They've tested it. They've been tested. Now they're running with their heart, not so much with their head. They're still collecting information and understanding, but only to fuel their heart, not with questions. Their only question is how I can do more of this, how I can serve more, how I can grow in this, not whether I should do this or not, whether this is a good thing, whether this is a good fit for me. That is gone. So they will put some order, more order, ordination, more order to their approach to the main teaching, the main practice, chanting the name of Krishna. So in Mantra Diksha, we give the mantra, which is an, an arrangement, an order, of sounds, an order of sounds that will help one to take advantage of this uh, chanting and practice. In that mantra, then, is found the possibility of a relationship with Krishna. So Guru gives the mantra, and it brings order into our, greater order into our practice, greater structure, and helps us to focus on the ideal. I want to go to Krishna Leela, and I want to go there like that, be like that. And this is my goal. And this sound, that mystic sound will help me. This is the idea. And order and ornamentation also. There's beauty to math, you may know. There's beauty to math. Underneath art is math. Underneath music, the beautiful musical composition, there is order. The world has order and there's a beauty to that. So with order, ordination, Putting things in order also comes ornamentation. This will make you beautiful. Make you beautiful and becoming 
attractive to Krishna. You are singled out and pointed out. You are introduced to the deity. Now, you can do mantramayi upasana. You cannot do astrakalalila smaranam. But you can do mantramayi upasana now. You have access to this. Mantramayi upasana means that you can meditate on the lila through mantra and in still form. So you can approach the deity on the altar and enter the realm of ritual and participate directly in that. The mantra gives you access to that. Enter the realm of ritual. And this realm of ritual is a realm that's in between, so to speak, the material world, the realm of exploitation, and the world of love, the realm of love. It's in between. It's a meeting ground, so to speak. Just like the book, we say revelation, but it comes in the form of a book. So it, it's a meeting ground. Just follow what I'm saying. It's got material characteristics. The book has got ink and paper and so forth. But if you read it, what does it do? If you read it and apply it in life, it doesn't bring you to a temporal position. It brings you to eternity. You can taste eternity through applying the teaching in the book. So it's uh, the realm of ritual is like this. The deity stands in one place and you approach with a mantra, Om Saha this, Om Saha that, Om Saha. And there's a whole structure to that. So there's a way of functioning in that realm of ritual. But the realm of ritual is as much or more an extension of the realm of love as it is the realm of exploitation. We're carrying our bodily self and so forth there that comes from the realm of exploitation, but by carrying it there, taking it there, participating with it there in a particular way, in a particular structure and ordered way, it starts to dissolve. The bodily conception of life starts to dissolve there. And as it does, the realm of ritual becomes more and more alive. And we find then, eventually, ultimately, that the realm of ritual is, as I say, an extension of the realm of Leela. Like this Govardhan Leela is a good example. You're going to learn, after you receive this mantra, how to offer the foods and how to offer the arati and different ceremonies and so on and so forth. Different 16 types of paraphernalia to offer to the deity and, and so forth. And in the Leela... For example, Govardhan is offering all these things. Krishna goes there on the hill with his cows and coward friends and there are caves, like resting spots. And there's water for bathing. And it's filled with birds that are singing, chanting. Certain kind of grasses, like Druvago grass and so forth, are making a nice sitting place for making an asana. And the cows but walk on a Govardhan hill, sometimes the milk comes from their bag and drip, drips there and... Uh, and hits a rock with some acid, it turns into yogurt. The hill is <laughs> offering all these things constantly. It's Haridas Varja. The hill is a big sakha, big friend of Krishna. Vishwanath Chakravitaka says all the hills of Vrindavan are in Sakya Rasa. Radharani take a look at Govardhan and said, Oh, you are the best of Hari's servants. Doesn't mean she thinks the hill is a manjari because the manjari is the highest servants. And their service is what? Is Radha's service. She doesn't think my service is the best. I look at Govardhan, oh, you're the best of servants, therefore you're my extension. She doesn't think like that. No. They think, gopis think the Calvins, they're the best servants. They get to stick with Krishna all the time and hang out with him even in the public, hold hands with him and so forth. Gopis can't do that. He's a big hill, big friend, Govardhan. So what I'm saying to you is that what all that takes part in the realm of ritual takes part in another way the full expression of it is constantly going on in the realm of Leela. 
There's a constant worship of Bhagavan, but it takes a different shape. The whole Leela is worshipable. It doesn't look like it to the untrained eye. It looks like they're just like enjoying themselves, and even their cowards are wrestling Krishna to the ground. And how, how is it? Mother Yasoda, I said, try to chase him and tie him up. What kind of worship is that? Chastising him. No, but it's filled with the sentiment of serving, which is the basis of love. But love has a tendency to hide itself, disguise itself. Because why? Everybody can't appreciate it. You get love and you want to share it everywhere, but then you do, and then people go, hey, keep it to yourself, will you? Okay. So then you, know, you form your own language of love. And even in public, sometimes you can express it and nobody knows. And you have different names for your lover that nobody else knows, only you and, and she know that. And so this is, love tends to camouflage itself. Therefore, again, nityam bhagavata seva. You have to study bhagavata very carefully, and that means with good guidance. It's not just book learning. This mantra I'm giving you can find in a book, but there will be nothing for you. Nothing. Guru Parashraya Diksha Shikshadi Sadhuvat Manubhartande Guru Vishwambhaina Sevaya All these things. This is Diksha, part of Diksha. To hear from the Guru, to take the mantra, then to support the mantra by taking instruction, then to serve the ideal the knowledge that the Guru is giving to serve that knowledge faithfully, Vishwamena, and affectionately, and also to serve those saintly persons that represent and embody that knowledge. All these things is together. It's not just to take it from a book, no. It's a living thing, coming from a living person with realization. Then it will grow in your heart. This is an invitation. I invite you. I, on behalf of Brajendananda and Krishna, I say to you, you are mine. You are mine. Krishna is saying this to you. You are mine. Now, he says one other thing to you. He only asks one thing of you. You please learn to say and feel, I am yours. I am yours. Mamata, you undercut this brain. He's saying to you right now, you are mine. You have one thing to learn now. To come to the point of saying, no, you are mine. This is Teshamebanu Kampartam. Krishna invites you to conquer him. That is Krishna. Krishna is that form of God that is conquered by love. Therefore, he's just at the disposal of these gopis and gopas. They want to love him as a son? Okay, I'm your son. And they want to love him as a friend? I'm your friend, past friend. As a lover? Yes, why not? Krishna means... The Absolute has come under the control of love. So it takes a shape like that. Krishna means the meeting between the finite and the infinite. That is intimate. An intimate meeting between the finite and the intimate that has to take a finite appearance in order for the intimacy to proceed. You follow what I'm saying? If the infinite comes before us, we'll go, oh my God. Man, am I small. And man, are you big. So in order for there to be intimacy in the meeting between the finite and the infinite. The infinite will have to take a finite-like appearance. But again, if you listen carefully to the right people, you'll know it's not finite. What kind of belly is that, that all the ropes in the universe are two inches too short and doesn't get any bigger? He's everywhere and in one place at the same time. He's everywhere and moving from one place to the next. This is Leela. This is beyond our capacity to reason about, and that's good. There should be a place like that. 
beyond reason to go. There you'll find love. That's well-reasoned. So with this initiation, then, you have much facility and much is expected of you also, all for your interest. We live here only for the, for the interest of others. You have to live only for the interest of others. You have to swim that ocean of milk. Krishna's place is surrounded by milk, ocean of milk. And it's deep and it's broad. You have to go deep within that. It's an ocean of affection is what it is. Brahma came to the shore of the ocean of milk to call Krishna to come. Brahma represents the higher end of the lower world, the world of exploitation. There's not much affection in the realm of exploitation. Krishna lives in a realm surrounded by milk. Milk means, that's what it means. It means affection. You check it out. We've got a calf, a new calf up here. And that cow, there you will see the affection of Suki for her calf, Rati, and vice versa. That milk is coming from affection. She doesn't get affection, she doesn't give her milk. Ocean of milk means like that. It means it lives in affection, in an ocean of affection. And you have to go from the shore here to there. You have to go deep in that ocean and broad. You have to go deep within and reach out to others and share this with them. And then way you can make your way through the ocean of milk. And then you start to see then the waves like white cows <laughs> arrive on the shore of Sweta Deep, White Island, and the black god Krishna. Radha Govinda ki jai, ki Raj Govinda ki jai, Gaurmitananda ki jai, Gaudiya Vaishnav, Guru Parampara ki jai, Bhaktivinod Paribar ki jai. So, now, Chidhari, come, sit here, make this ready, take off your kurta. We're going to give this sacred symbolic thread to each of you, as was done by Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur means more in India and then even for that matter in times gone by than it does in the modern world, but we're nonetheless following the tradition. And um, put it on you like this. Put your arm through there. There you go. Now, turn, you're giving your right ear. I'm going to give you one mantra, most important mantra. And then afterwards, then I'm going to give to you, same way. Then afterwards you'll come to me in my room and I'll give you some other mantras that will assist you in this and some special advices. Om Kling Krishnaya Uvindaya Gopijanamalaya Saha Kling Krishnaya Uvindaya Gopijanamalaya Saha Kling Krishnaya, Govindaya, Gopiganavalabhaya, Sahara. Okay. Sriman Mahaprabhu ki jai. Matibhinod Purivar ki jai. Well decorated. Turn this way. Right, give me a right here. Om, Krishnaya, Govindaya, Gopiganavalabhaya. It's 
श्रीमद महाप्रभु की जाय श्री भक्ति वेदांत स्वामी प्रभुपत की जाय भक्ति लक्षक सीधा देव गोस्वामी महाराज की जाय श्री भक्ति विनोद परिवार की जाय श्री गिरिराज कोवरदान की जाय गिरिधारी लाल की जाय कोवरदान पूज्य महामोत्सव तिथि की जाय हैंड्स अप गोल प्रेमानंदे